0: Chrysler and Peugeot groups are going to merge, and Chrysler already canceled all development of small cars, but do buyers really want a tiny French Jeep? But first, we discuss the most obscure car auctions we could find. This is David and Borja on this week's Limited Slip Podcast. This episode of the Limited Slip Podcast is sponsored by Retromobile Designs. If you're looking for super cool automotive-inspired t-shirts made by Petrolheads for Petrolheads, check them out at www.retromobiledesigns.com. That's designscom
1: Well, welcome, everyone. Uh, we have a new segment that we want to introduce to our podcast today, uh, which is uh, auction cars. We're going to be discussing some of the auction cars that we've seen on different auction sites over the last week or two and uh, talking about them why we like them why maybe we don't like them as much but especially to how much money they actually sold for Uh, the first one that we want to talk about today is a 2004 mercedes-benz sl 500 Um, according to the auction site this car um, previously resided in florida Uh, it has 87,100 miles to owners. Uh, looking at the pictures, it looks like a very well taking vehicle. It's silver in color with a black interior, typical Mercedes um, combo combination. Uh, it went for 8,600 bucks. Uh, I think that's actually a, a good price for that car. Um, these SLs are a dime a dozen nowadays, but if you're going to be spending $8,600 on a GT convertible. It really is hard to find a better value than these SLs. Um,
0: uh, that's, that's pretty cheap for a, a V8 Mercedes convertible for any good for any good convertible sports car or Grand Tour I guess SL is not really a sports car but it's a pretty good deal.
1: I think that's a pretty good deal and, and the thing about too uh, with this price and this SL, is that you know you could be driving down the road and nobody will ever think that you spent $8,600 on it. Yeah,
0: well, that's true, too. Yeah. I'm not you know, quite like we've, we've talked about this before. I'm not real big on the SLs in general. I like lightweight cars, personally. But I do really like the engines, like the V12 Mercedes engines. For, mm-hmm. They hit the spot for me. And they, you, know, this, you know this SL is not... It's not an SL six hundred. It's not a S sixty five, but SL sixty five. But it is. It's pretty sweet car, and it's still pretty powerful.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're they're plenty powerful. Uh, They're nice looking. They're not the most reliable engine wise. They're actually fairly reliable. It's everything else that it's not tremendously reliable. But then again, it's eighty six hundred bucks. So if you're looking for a cheap convertible for long distance traveling. You know, it, it's, it really is a great car.
0: It's hard to find something better for that price range. If you were in high school and you wanted a girlfriend, would you buy this car?
1: If I was in high school and wanted a girlfriend? Um, uh,
0: maybe. I, I think if you were in high school, this would be, like, the best car to pick up chicks in.
1: Probably. Just that, uh, that badge. Uh, but then again, w- what kind of girls would you be attracting
0: uh, when I was in high school? I didn't worry about that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I would have been extremely happy if I had this car when I was in high school because uh, when I was in high school, I had a 99 Chevy Malibu, so uh, an SL 500 was definitely a big step
0: up. Yeah, I had a My, my guess, my first car was a a Bronco, which I had for a couple years, and then I bought while I was still in high school. I got a a Porsche nine two four. It was an S, I might say. Um, Mm. That was a pretty sweet car, but it never gave me the Bronco. Was a really good car for picking up chicks in, but the Porsche, surprisingly, not so much. It just it didn't like work well enough. (laughs) It, it, It was always broken, so you know. Anyways, I I think that this this SL, the the most interesting thing about this SL is the price compared to the next car. Yes, indeed, because the next car is also a convertible. We're
1: sticking with convertible themes of our first couple of cars. Now, quick recap. 2004 Mercedes SL 500, 87,000 miles, 8,600 bucks. This next car is a 2007 Pontiac G6 GT convertible under 10,000 miles. And if you're not sitting down right now, please do so. We don't want to create any injuries out there because the price that it went for is $9,500. Yes, for a GT, a G6 convertible, true with, and when they say under 10,000 miles, they weren't kidding. It's 9,900 miles. Oh, wow, ninety five hundred bucks for this thing! Um, it's it's uh,
0: is it a leather interior? Yeah. Uh,
1: let's see. It is leather interior. Yes, it is, and it does look like uh, from the pictures. It has heated seats. Yeah. Um, but an
0: automatic too.
1: But it's an automatic. Uh, uh, it's got uh, air conditioning, no climate control. Air conditioning, a uh, simple CD player. Uh, of course, we all love that mid 2000s GM f- fake wood plasticky uh, trim. It works like a charm.
0: Everything uh, in the car is plastic. Everything. Yeah,
1: everything, yeah don't, the only thing that is not plastic is the leather. Uh, besides that, everything is plastic inside that car. And I say plastic, we mean cheap plastic. Yeah. So we have no idea who bought this uh, G6. Um, uh, that said, if the person who decided to buy the G6 is willing to just throw cash around sparingly like this at uh, projects, hit us up. We're trying to grow our podcast and some funny would be great if you're willing to, uh, you know, take a gamble
0: as you did with the G6. Yeah, we, we could make $10,000 go a long way in this podcast. And indeed we could, yes. I really wonder about this. I mean, because you buy a car with 10,000 miles, presumably you're not buying it to drive it very much right okay pontiac g6 it's not that great to drive so who cares you're not buying it to drive it anyways but it's not really like collectible either and it's not okay it might be the nicest g6 in the world or or the only one that's left uh because you don't see them around that much anyway yeah, but like like so what is i mean it's never gonna increase in value it's never gonna be nope. a really interesting or awesome cool car to have in your collection if you're a collector i yeah i'm i'm with you i am i am my mind is all types of frazzled over who the heck bought this and why yeah uh,
1: Uh, One of the nice things, too, on this um, auction is that the previous owner did have the original sticker price. Um, So standard vehicle price back in 2007 was $28,565 before uh, taxes and fees. Uh, The customer that decided to buy this vehicle back in 2007 uh, decided to splurge on the premium package, which was $1,450 back then. What would you get for that premium package? Well, you got uh, leather seats, you got power seat adjustable driver, six-way, you got driver and uh, passenger heated seats, you got a remote start, uh, XM satellite radio service, and uh, for the kicker, uh, I guess back in 2007, the economy was starting to go down. You had to include this into a premium package, you also got floor mats. I guess floor mats were not included with the base model. Uh, after taxes and fees and the premium package, the out-the-door was $31,085.
0: That's, yeah.
1: Even, even I mean, today, $31,085 still buys you a, a decent car, uh, especially if you want to go the, the used route, a very nice used car. I still think that back in 2007, paying 31 grand
0: for this G6 was still a lot of money. I wouldn't have paid 31 grand for this car. And now we have two questions. Who paid $10,000 for this in 2020 and who paid $38,000 for it in 2001? Yeah.
1: yeah. So who paid 31 grand and who paid 10,000? And uh, actually, let me see at the listing if it says how many uh, buyers did it have previously. Uh, to own a car it was registered in Florida and then in Virginia so yeah and the 3.5 liter v6 engine produces 217 horsepower and 217 foot pounds of torque but anyways at the day and age we live in you know 2020, with COVID hitting, someone decided that, well, my life hasn't been exciting enough this 2020. Let me spend close to 10 grand on a G6 convertible. Uh, <laughs> big money for that G6, uh, and especially when you compare it with the previous car that we just talked about, the SL500. Sure, the SL500 has more miles and it's a few years older, that said
0: it did sell for uh, $1,300 less. I, I guess that's I. the only thing I can think of is someone who wants something truly unique. I think none of their friends has. <laughs> well,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, that's true. I mean, if he wants to, even if, which we don't think he's going to drive it a lot, but even if he does, I don't think he's going to go to that many dinner parties saying, hmm, I wonder if somebody else has a convertible G6 with under 10,000 miles? Well, surely the answer is no. No. So in that case, you did well, whoever purchased the vehicle. So congratulations to you,
0: sir. All right, let's Um, move on. Next next one is one that's a laugh. Well, it's laugh-worthy in some way, but I think it's actually actually kind of cool. So what do we have next? Yeah, so we got this. 2002 Miata, I'm a Miata fan, right? So this is a, an NB Miata with a Jaguar V6 swap, manual transmission, but a, they swapped a Jag V6 into it. Uh, that question, that makes me question their sanity. However, it is a really nice Miata. It is, well,
1: but but I think that the fact that it's a really nice Miata, to me at least, it questions that sanity even more. Because um, according to the previous seller, uh, the Miata only had 35,100 miles. So what possessed you to take such a low mileage, nice example of a Miata, and
0: do a swap like this? I mean, I understand the, the desire to get more power, right? I mean, you can but there's lots of options to get more power. You could do a supercharger, you could do a turbocharger, you could do an LS swap. Why a Jag V6? Uh, I don't know. But, you know, it's still a nice car. I, I mean, this is at least one that I would like to drive. It is a very nice car, that is true. Uh,
1: six-speed manual and also according to uh the previous seller the swap gives about 80 more horsepower than the stock engine so, but it it, um, it does add some more weight too so um second owner also um so only two owners on this specific uh, miata um and also the previous seller state that uh, the car does run a bit rough because the ecu needs to be replaced uh, at a cost of around $2,500 uh, to replace that ECU. Wow. Now, what we, what we haven't talked about is what it actually sold for. Which so is? A Miata with a V6 and needing an uh, ECU replacement went for $10,500. Yeah. yeah, crazy.
0: Big money too for this Miata. Yeah, this is interesting because so far, I, you know, I always go back and forth on this on the auction sites. Is it better for buyers or is it better for sellers? And I got to say, the the first one was definitely better for the buyer. The second two, second and the third ones were better for the sellers. I got to say. Yes,
1: yeah, I, I would agree 100%. But then I guess too that um, the buyers, it's also good for the buyers because they were
0: willing to pay that much for the vehicles anyway. So no, that's true, but I don't think you'd I don't think you'd find this Jag V six swap to Miata on Facebook Marketplace for that price. Just no, no. Actually, you
1: probably if you were to find it in Facebook Marketplace, everybody will be time to tell you you just took a reliable engine, put another one that it's not as reliable, and your ECU doesn't work, so it's not even sorted out completely yet. Yeah, um, I'll give you five hundred dollars. I $500. That's how, that's, that's how everything goes in Facebook Marketplace. They tell you everything that's wrong with your item that you're selling with your vehicle, and they lowball you about 75% of the asking price, if not
0: more. Okay, so let's, let's see, okay, what's the next interesting auction that you saw? Next interesting auction that I
1: came across is a 1999 Honda Civic Si. Um, very popular, I mean, Civics are very popular. Uh, across the world, Uh, VSI is even more popular. In this case, this is a very, very nice example. Unmodified, um, interior is in great shape. Exterior is in fantastic shape. You can't see any issues with the paint at all. So has the stock uh, rims. The only thing that I did see uh, that they added at some point, I have no idea why, was a tow hitch. Uh, But besides that, it's great. bright red, fantastic color. Um, It has 169,000 miles, just barely over 169,000 miles. And uh,
0: it went for $9,000. I I think that this is actually a fair price. Yes, I would agree. Um, I don't think that this is a, a win for the buyer or the seller, I think it's just a fair price. Because this is a nice example even the interior, even the cloth fabric is still in good shape. It has 100, yep. you know, 170,000 miles almost, but for a hundred it'll, c- r- this, it'll run forever. Yeah, yeah. These are, and it seems to be tremendously well maintained.
1: Yeah. And another big plus about this specific Civic is that it's a one owner car. Right. So the guy who sold it, he bought it new, he did all the maintenance, uh, all the paperwork is there. So if you're really looking for a very nice example, SI, this is the one to have because nice examples are extremely rare nowadays especially unmodified because everybody who owns an SI at some point they just modify the crap out of
0: them and feel feel free to drive it too right like this is this is it's enough mileage that you there's no reason to conserve it but you know you can drive it without fear i think this is this is a pretty cool car
1: yeah i think it's a great car it was a good price I think both buyer and seller should be happy with what it sold for and what the buyer paid for it. So, um, yeah. Okay. Moving on to um, our next one, another convertible. This is actually one of my favorite convertibles of all time. It's a 97 Mercedes-Benz SL 500. I just love that era of the SL. That body style is fantastic. This is... um, uh, getting towards the, the end of this era for those SLs, uh, it's white with a black interior 5-liter V8, 149,700 miles. Uh, it sold for $6,000. Pretty good.
0: price I mean, I feel like maybe this, maybe this is just an SL issue, but this is, a, this is actually a pretty good car. I think that these are a lot more fun to drive than people think um you know the next generation SL was pretty heavy these ones are they're not as bad and they drive lighter than they are and they're 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 yes well grand tours right i mean this is not a lightweight sports car but it's still no still a, a remarkably good car to drive it is
1: and it's still in the era where mercedes benz were actually very reliable um this SLs they had some issues with the tops uh however this seller had the all the mechanisms rebuilt in 2015 so that has already been taken care of Uh, this one also comes with the uh, amg sport package which adds some sport emblems 18 inch wheels Um, it makes it look a little bit more sporty Uh, and and another big big plus is that it comes with the color match hard top so all these sls were soft tops and you can find them on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist. You can find quite a few of them. And I would say the vast majority of them, uh, they get sold without the Color Match original hardtop. This one came with that hardtop. So it really is a car that you can drive all year round because you have
0: that hardtop, which makes it very nice. Well, and it might be said that Harry from Harry's Garage, who uh, oh has yes. magazine fame, he, he really likes these and he has a... He has one that he keeps in Southern France, so that he has a car there. He he um, he doesn't have it anymore.
1: Okay. Uh, but he, but he he had an SL 600, yep, that he kept uh, in Southern France. I guess he has a boat uh, down in in Southern France, and he did have an SL 600 just to run around town whenever they're down there. But uh, I re- I recall seeing a a video of him about a year ago or so where he mentioned that BSL. He may decide to part ways with with SL. Not for any particular reason. Um, He still maintained that it was a fantastic car. One of the best GT cars, not a sports car, but one of the best GT cars uh, that he had driven. Um, And he actually didn't, if I recall correctly, he didn't lose any money with it. He basically sold it for almost the same amount that uh, that he bought it for. And he had it for a few years. So anyways, if you haven't seen Harry's Garage video on the SL600, uh you should it's, it's a fantastic video it, it, so yeah um okay moving on to the next one we got a couple of more i'm actually going to let you take uh, the lead on this one because you sent me this one that you found on
0: bring a trailer this uh mid-engine 84 civic si yeah this one's kind of i actually saw it for you know i mean i go like everyone i go and i look on bring a trailer i actually saw this one in a facebook group uh before was put for sale. Um, this is, as far as I know, this is the only mid-engine Civic that I've seen. Uh, I, I think it's the only one. And and yeah, so they they basically they took a 1984 Honda Civic in good condition and they rebuilt it. They built a whole new subframe for it, rear subframe, and then mounted the engine in the back. So it's a mid-engine honda civic mid-engine rear-wheel drive honda civic um the engine that they chose is it's an acura 3.2 liter like you got in the you know like like in the legend or um i think this one came from an acura cl um and yeah it's a pretty sweet car as corvette brakes um and this is the the mid-engine conversion was actually done in period so I think it was finished in 1992. So I guess that's 10 year, you know, eight years after it was new. But um, so it's all period parts and it's pretty sweet car. This is actually why I go on bringing trailers to find cars like this. And unfortunately they're getting more and more rare to see these kind of quirky cars, but it looks like a really quality build. And uh, talking about if you uh, want something that no one else has, seems like a pretty good way to go, too. It is. Uh, it is. I,
1: I agree with you. It's a, it's a fantastic-looking example. Uh, the, the build quality from the pictures alone looks like they did an immaculate job. And whoever the owner or owners have been since the, the build, they've done a good job at keeping the car uh, well-maintained. Um,
0: what's the bid right now? Because it hasn't sold yet, uh, but it is uh, going up. Just a touch over $35,000, 4 days left um yeah which is a lot of money for a 1980 civic i might say but it's a pretty sweet ride it is a pretty sweet ride it's uh it's a one-off
1: car and um if you like your uh, quirky european especially french uh cars that you know Renault did a couple of variants with uh, with a mid-engine too and it does have that kind of flair uh, and this is just a uh, you know if the Japanese would have said hey we, we really need to stick it up to the French, this is what they would have come up with.
0: But it is, yeah, yeah, it is. That's actually yeah, that's a pretty good point. Um, you know, we all dream of you know a BMW M three wagon or you know some some car in a body style that we maybe wish had been produced and, and here they are remaking it in what appears to be how the factory would have done it or pretty close to. That's pretty cool. And I have a thing for French cars, right? Um, we we both do. I I I'm kind of obsessed with French cars, and getting a a Clio V6 is on my bucket list. Um, this thing's pretty close, it's in spiritually. At least it's pretty close. So yeah,
1: from from the looks of it, I would say it's uh, closer to the Renault Five Turbo yeah. of the '80s. Uh, uh, but then again, the Clio it was just the predecessor of the the five turbo and um you know when i first when you sent me this link for the civic si my first thought was like it looks great it reminds me a lot a lot of that rental five turbo and just because of that i think it's it's worth thirty five thousand dollars. i mean if you want to get a nice example of re- a rental five especially um if you want to bring it over to the states it's going to cost you more than that
0: oh yeah I mean, you're, you're looking six figures probably yeah so this that like it has the boxed flares, big intake on the side. You know, it looks it, it looks good, but it has that group, um, you know that kind of aesthetic of those of those cars. So, yeah, great great example,
1: awesome find. Um, it's over right now on Bring It trailer, so If you want to take a look at it, head over there, um, and then we'll go ahead and move on to our last car that we found this week at auction. Uh, This next car is not a particularly rare car. The reason that um, I found it interesting is the price that it went for and the mileage that it has. This is a 1999 Lexus LX470. It's a 100 series, you know, the, the, the 100 series Land Cruiser. Everybody knows that these things are pretty much bulletproof. They'll run forever. They're extremely reliable. You can go anywhere with them. They're comfortable. At this particular example, um, has two hundred and ninety-seven thousand miles, so not low mileage, that's for sure. Uh, but what's interesting about uh, this vehicle is that it's not a perfect example. It's high mileage, and it still
0: went for ninety-three hundred dollars. That's a lot. That's a a very successful auction. From it, it is indeed. Um, I'm sure that he's wanting to sell more cars after this one. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised by the price. Um, not, I'm not saying that these aren't good cars. I mean, these Land Cruisers are, they are very reliable, but, and this one, like it's in really good shape. The leather still is still really good, but that amount of money, I mean, the, I guess the reason that I'm surprised is that there's no shortage of these with 300,000 miles. I mean, if 300,000 miles was the lowest that you could find, of course, $10,000 would be fine. But you can find these with 300,000 miles all day, every day, anywhere in the country. And I'm a little bit I'm a little bit surprised by the price. Yeah,
1: what's surprising is that I haven't shared this auction with you. Um, I'll send it to you right now. But what's what I find most surprising is really the selling price because at the same auction site that I found, this LX470 I found another LX470 a year newer it's a 2000 instead of a 99 um, with 250,000 miles so over 150,000 miles less and that one sold at no reserve for 5,800 bucks
0: yeah which is which is what I would that's pretty much what I would expect yeah uh... thousand it, dollars it, it simply does beg
1: question what is it about the other one that's a year older with over one hundred and fifty thousand miles more that commanded that much more of a premium price? Um, I just really don't know
0: um, yeah we've both looked through the auction and i don't have any i don't have any indication as to anything special about it. yeah, so hey, great job to the seller uh,
1: you' got a great price for that lX and speaking of you. Uh, seller whoever you may be Uh, we did go through your photos we did find a a photo of your garage that of course you put on the site it's not like we were stalking you or anything you you put it as a part of the pictures for the vehicle that you sold and uh both david and myself we really really like that ds that you have in your garage
0: so if you that's the best ds because it's a late one a late model year one and those are so cool Uh, I should
1: apologize for those um, of you that are listening, Uh, it's a Citroën DS, it's a French car, Uh, it's extremely rare to see nowadays, Um, if you don't know what it is, Google it, It, as uh, it is a French tradition of the period, it has incredibly cool suspension, Um, you can Google that too, uh, DS suspension, and you'll see how all that works, uh, and how it's extremely quirky. Uh, but from everything that we saw on the pictures that on this LX four seventy, what I liked the most was that DS that you have in the garage. So, yeah,
0: you have great taste. Yeah, pretty. Good. Well, let's move. Let's move on to our next topic, away from the these uh, quirky auctions that we we found. Um, we I guess the big news from this week at least yeah, big news is maybe the wrong word, but the, the news from this week that we found the most interesting is, so Peugeot and Fiat Chrysler are planning on merging and it's looking more and more like it's gonna actually happen. Um, the The news is that uh, Fiat Chrysler has canceled all of their development of small cars. and. And that looks like they're going to use the Peugeot platform, the Peugeot small card platform. Um, I've kind of been looking through this to to see. So obviously, I don't think that there's any Peugeot brands sold in the States. So the Peugeot brands are Peugeot, DS, Opal, Vauxhall. I don't think there's any other ones. Um, And none of those are sold in the States. So I'm not, Super familiar with them. I do. I do travel and you know look at because I'm I'm like that. I look at what cars are sold in other places, but um, they don't really have any large cars, right? Pretty much all of the Peugeot brand cars, uh, right on a common platform, kind of like what Audi does, and they really have i mean they have like three or four throughout all those brands they only have like three or four large cars yeah uh, Peugeot. yeah Peugeot and citroen both have some vans like some minivans but they're, they're yeah
1: that that's as that's big as as they go i mean and when we talk minivans we're talking about as big as the toyota sienna chrysler pacifica on odyssey those types of minivans they don't have as far as passenger vehicles they don't have anything bigger than that
0: yeah um, Yeah. And so it's just pretty, it's pretty interesting to see the other, the other area that's interesting looking at their portfolio is all of the Peugeot brands and all of the European brands for Fiat Chrysler have like independently developed these large panel vans, which are really common in Europe for, you know, Mm -hmm. um, so I guess they, I guess they could save some money through that in development costs. It, it just kind of leaves me with the question why the merger what do they have to gain through the merger because okay we're going to we're going to merge we're going to use Peugeot's small car platform i think that it's probably a much better driving platform for small suvs than the fiat chrysler i mean the fiat chrysler was not that bad though so I don't know that you get a huge bump in in quality there. I don't think you get a huge bump in engineering either. And then what does Peugeot get? Right? They're not selling large cars. And the reason they're not selling large cars is because they're they're in Europe and no one's buying large cars. Right? Yeah. You, yes, you no one's buying trucks. So what, what what is the huge benefit here? I'm not I'm not sure that there's I'm not sure exactly what it is yet and how they plan on merging and making that be a more efficient business.
1: I think that when it comes to Fiat or FCA, I think the, the, the big advantage for them is that right now, uh, in Europe, Fiat is not the brand that it used to be, that it once was. I mean, we're talking about the 70s, 80s, 90s, Fiat was a big thing in Europe. They had all sorts of uh, cars, some of them very interesting. Nowadays, Fiat pretty much only produces one car, and that's the 500. Um, so Peugeot and Citroën, they do have far more um, right now experience on smaller to medium cars because they produce more of them. Fiat only does the 500, and that's it. So if they want to have a bit more versatility, I think that's going to be a win for FCA. Uh, another win I think is going to be for FCA is that it both Peugeot and Citroën in Europe, they're considered to be uh, some of the cheaper brands. And I'm not saying this in a bad way. What I'm saying is that they always have incentives, they always have rebates that you can pretty much get into any of those two brands, at least the base models for fairly economical pricing, if you compare it to some of the British or especially the German rivals. Um, That's when it becomes extremely cheap. And well, it's no secret that FCA, besides the big trucks and SUVs that they have here um, in the U.S., everything that it's small or medium, they have struggled with selling. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: so having the experience that Peugeot and Citroen has in smaller to medium-sized cars, if they ever want to relaunch those brands here in the States and offer a competitive vehicle at a competitive price, those could be the brands to do it. That said, even though it is a well-known fact in Europe that they are cheap to get into, they're also not the most
0: reliable, but they are more reliable than the Fiats. So, Well, being more reliable than a cheap Italian car is not particularly uh, difficult, I might say. Well,
1: yes, I would agree, but somehow FCA still can't, I mean, it, what's interesting about this whole thing is that everybody knows that FIATs are not the most reliable, most reliable cars out there. And what does FCA decide to do? Yeah, let's, let's put a Jeep badge on a FIAT product and let's sell it. Yeah. Um, which I thought, honestly, I think it was a bad mistake. I actually have a great example that, um, of a vehicle that came into my shop this week. Actually, sorry, not this week, last week. Um, of a Jeep Compass. Uh, 2016 Jeep Compass, it was the Renegade Edition, 60-something uh, thousand miles. I think it was around 65,000 miles. It came into the shop for a couple of things. Uh, throttle body was out. I mean, we're talking about a 2016 vehicle with 65,000 miles, and the throttle body was out. On top of that, it needed some regular maintenance like any other car, spark plugs, transmission fluid was already looking bad so we did a transmission service too but the other thing that uh we found surprising besides the throttle body is um the front left cd axle was already leaking
0: hmm.
1: and that's not something that you want on a vehicle that only has you know four years three four years on a 2016 and that only has sixty five thousand miles you yeah. know those things should not be happening and um i'm not going to say that it's Jeep's fault because Jeep did not build those parts. Those are all fiat parts. But in the same way, Jeep is responsible because they're allowing them to put their legendary badge on such a
0: poor quality product. And it's really not helping them as a brand. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess, you know, what are other ways that it could help? I, I mean, you can have an expansion of market, right? I mean, Peugeot is pretty popular in South America, you know, relatively. It's obviously big in Europe. That's pretty much it, right? Yeah. You know, by 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 the merger, are they gonna enter into Japan? Are they gonna get into North America? I mean, maybe. I don't know that anyone has very much interest in buying a Peugeot. The only way that they in the United States, anyways, I think that this would really be this would really an enter an entry into the market would have to be based on price, right? Yeah, so I don't know if that would work. Now that being said. You know getting dodges and jeeps and chryslers if they choose to expand the chrysler range getting those into europe that could be that could be something um but you know does dodge have any vehicles that europeans are going to be interested in no no because chrysler well i mean chrysler just sells the pacifica would you be interested yeah. in, the pacifica in europe well need, uh, <laughs> sure
1: but Probably no, because the the thing about Europe is the minivan segment is extremely the minivan segment in Europe is like the pickup truck segment here in the states. It's extremely competitive. Yeah, um, you know, big SUVs and big pickup trucks is the bread and butter of the U.S. and uh, small cars and and minivans is the bread and butter of Europe. I mean, it's a well known fact. I remember growing up in Spain. Um, if you, if your dad or your mom drove a minivan over here, if, if you, dro- if you drive a minivan, you're going to get this, uh, image or look that, you know, you're a soccer mom or, well, you probably got a minivan because you couldn't afford the SUV. Um, but in Europe is, if you drive a minivan, you must be doing well money-wise because minivans are expensive in Europe yeah. and, and it's considered a premium vehicle. I yeah. mean, the Germans have minivans, the Italians, you, well, the Italians, they don't have minivans anymore, but they used to have minivans. Um, everybody, any of the big manufacturers in Europe, they offer a minivan. And, and some of them even offer more of one type of minivan. They have a medium-sized minivan and then they have a full-sized minivan. A full-sized minivan would be for us what uh, a Siena or a Odyssey is or a Pacifica. And then we have smaller versions of those that they also sell to the public. So the minivan segment is extremely competitive. I don't think that the Pacifica um, would be, I don't think people will be enticed to buy a Pacifica considering with what's already in the market in Europe.
0: Yeah, I mean, that being said, I think the the Pacifica, I'm biased, I might say I have Pacifica, it's a good van, right? And I think that it would be able to sway some, but is it gonna be like the breakthrough thing that's gonna make- No over fist no it's not right
1: no. yeah
0: and Citroen, Citroen already has a good already has a good minivan set um you know so but at the end of the, of the day most of these
1: merges they happen just for a money standpoint they trying to combine experiences that manufacturers have in producing the vehicles and bringing some money and trying to standardize the process i mean this is nothing new uh volkswagen have they they've done it they probably were the pioneers when it came to this you know they own Volkswagen they own Seat uh, they own Skoda and if you look at those the vehicles that those three manufacturers offer they're pretty much the same pricing changes a little bit but the platform is the same the engines are the same um, the trims are almost the same the way the cars look are similar they're not exactly the same and then of course the the, the features and the creature comforts, they're not exactly the same. That's why you end up going with a Volkswagen instead of ending up with a set or with a Vauxhall I'm sorry, with a Skoda. Um, but I think that's also what they probably want to do. They want to get one platform to build their vehicles. It's going to bring down their cost a lot. At the end of the day, uh, if you take away the Jeep brand and the and the Ram and the Dodge brand, FCA is not making a whole lot of money. Right. Um, and it's pretty much the same story with Citroën and Peugeot. The reason that they have all these great incentives for people to get into the cars is because it, well, if they don't have them, people wouldn't buy them.
0: Right.
1: So, so they're. I think they're just trying to find a way to lower their, their cost of production so that they can keep offering a vehicle at a cheaper price and people still buy those vehicles.
0: And I think, I think the, just my last point on this, I think, Another possibility and a, and a possible advantage is Citroen and Peugeot have, over the last decade and a half, been investing into electric cars. Most of them are really terrible, okay, <laughs> but, but they've but they've been they've been working on it. And as far as FCA goes, I mean, you're starting to see a, some hybridization, mild hybridization, in, in DOT and RAM. Yes. But really it's Maserati's been working on it for kind of a halo car, but they're you know they're late to the game they don't have battery suppliers they don't have necessarily a lot of this engineering expertise to be able to electrify in the future. I think that might be, I think that might be part of it too, but
1: well and, and speaking to the uh, Maserati comment, I would be hesitant to buy an all-electric car made by the Italians. Um, I think it's going to take him some time to figure that one out. Um, I love Italian cars, too. I think they, not the new ones, because unfortunately, they don't offer a whole lot to the market in today's world. One of my personal favorite uh, manufacturers uh, of, of cars, it's incredible what they used to do and what they do nowadays. Uh, I'm talking about Lancia or Lancia. Um, they had so many iconic, incredible cars. Uh, my dad had two of them when I was growing up. Uh, my dad's uh, aunt, she had one of them. Uh, she had a Delta. It wasn't the Integrale version, but she had a Delta. So I'm I'm very fond of Lancia Lancia, and to see what they did and what they do now, it's it's really sad because right now they only sell
0: one car, the Epsilon, and they only sell it in Italy, and that's it. So, um, I, think, I think there's room for Lan- Lancia to come back though too, right? I mean, I'm hoping. And I think that that's I think that is one of the benefits of this uh, merger. Will be you know you're gonna get. You know, you're going to get a lot of small cars, a lot of hatchbacks, things that you know these types of cars that the Italians want to buy, and they want to buy them from Lancia or Fiat. I don't necessarily know Fiat might be a little bit down market, so they want to get get up to a Lancia. You know, but they don't have the engineering to be able to do it, and they don't have the ability to make an entire platform just for Lancia to sell a couple cars in Italy, right? Now, Lancia take a, a Citroen and they can rebadge it and, you know, do some Italian touches to it and, and sell it. That's good. I, I do wonder, though, how the full, you know, I mean, whenever you have a large conglomerate like this, you need to have a hierarchy of brands, right?
1: Yes, just the same way that VW does. You yeah, yeah. uh-huh. have VW at the top with Audi and then you have Seat and Skoda towards the bottom.
0: Right. I mean, starting with General Motors and Ford in the '60s, like like they had a really defined, uh, you know, hierarchy. And, and Volkswagen is like that right now. You know, that there's, you know, the, you know, you have Lamborghini and Bentley at the top, right? They're different, but they're both at the top. And then, or, or I guess, uh, I guess Bugatti's at the top, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And, have Audi and then you come down you have Skoda and you have Volkswagen and you know and you have a couple there that overlap a little bit towards the bottom but you need to have that type of hierarchy and I'm not sure how that fits in with this right so you have presumably Maserati at the top okay and then you have Alfa Romeo right Uh, you know Jeep is kind of its own thing. But then, but then, how now? You have Lancia, Fiat, Peugeot, Citroen, DS, Opel, Vauxhall, and they're all like kind of in that same, you know, cheap European car segment. I don't know how you, I don't know how you unravel that. But I think they have. I think for this to be a successful merger, they're going to have to define that and make it clear based on the products.
1: Yeah, and I think when when it's interesting too about the um, PSA group, so Citroen. Peugeot group especially when it comes to Opel and Vauxhall I felt that over the years I mean Opel and Vauxhall they've changed hands a couple times and it just seems that it's the uh you know the the child that nobody wants and and it just gets well yeah we'll give you a shot and no it didn't work out let's just get rid of it Uh, because Opel and Vauxhall used to be owned at one point not too long ago by GM
0: yeah
1: um So yeah, we wish them the best when it comes to, I'll be honest with you, when it comes to Lancia, um, if they're not going to do anything good, I'd rather not bring them back. Um, I think that that the brand is such an iconic brand with so many things that they were able to achieve, uh, especially in rally sports, that if you're just going to bring out a watered down, unreliable, well, well, let me rephrase that, unreliable has always been the bread and butter of Lancia's. My father owned two, and they both were extremely unreliable. But they had something about it. When you drove it, they were ex- they, they drove extremely well. They were very well equipped. The The fit and finish was actually really nice. The, the, the leather that my dad used to have in his car was extremely nice. So all that made up for the times that the car was unreliable until you get to a point that you just, you just need reliable transportation and you got rid of it, which is what he did. He ended up buying a Volkswagen Golf after that. But um, that was part of what you would buy into the brand. And with Alfa Romeo, it's the same. It's the soul. It's the passion. It's the history that you're buying into those cars. You already know that they're going to be unreliable, but you still buy them anyway uh, because they're just so great at what they do. Um, If you're going to be producing a car under the name of Lancia, that is going to be unreliable, which has always been the case. But now also, it doesn't have that flair. It doesn't have that soul. Well, what's the point? Who's going to buy it? Nobody's going to buy it.
0: Right. And I think that's the challenge of the merger, right? Like, like it would be great if Lancia came in and they went and they, you know, made a new entry in WRC and they had some, you know, I mean, look with like, like the Subaru WRX is really kind of competing in a class of one right now, even though they don't even do WRC with it. Right. Yeah. Uh, But if Lancia came in and they had a, you know, something to compete kind of with that, like that would be, that would be wonderful. That would, that would be like, that would get my attention. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, could they do that, I don't know. I think Citroen would feel like they were getting their, their feet stepped on a little bit. Um, so that's what I'm saying. Like they have to come in and, and define those brands and they have to expand. Like, you know, I mean, if you're going to have, if you're going to have this merger and this conglomerate, you need to have Maserati be more successful. You need to have Alfa Romeo be more successful. Um, you know, and to have larger product portfolios. Peugeot and Citroën, they have large product portfolios, but they're from Americanized. They're kind of all the same car. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how it goes. I I wish them the success. I hope they bring Peugeot here. Let me, let me like send me some form of a spiritual successor to 205 GTI. As long as it's French and like the instruction the owner's manual is in French, I'll be fine. That's it for this week's Limited Slip Podcast. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode of Insights into the week's automotive news. If you want to support our channel, you can visit our businesses at DaveTheCarImporter.com, dot com, where I help clients import their dream cars from South America and Europe for a flat fee, or Borha's business on Facebook at Auto Pros, Utah, a full service auto repair shop.